Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hello, friends. We have an episode that is diving into some serious topics, but we're here to assure you it's going to be okay. You know, publishing has been a little weird lately. A little? And a little. And as we were getting ready to talk to Alyssa Jeanette, I was so excited to jump into some hard topics for a change. Yeah. I mean, we try to keep everything as uplifting and happy as possible. But if we don't talk about the more difficult elements, long term, is that the happiest, best choice? I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. And if we're processing, that means everyone else is processing. So it's just an important time to dive in. I hope that what you'll take from this is that, no, this is not the new normal. We are not descending into an era of absolute chaos and people not being treated like people anymore. I think we had a few bad weeks, and I'm just really glad that Alyssa is here and bold and brave enough to talk about it with us. Me too. Let's get started. Oh, and a quick note. If you start to get stressed out, check the show notes for where it gets less stressful if you just can't handle this right now and want to come back later. Take good care of yourselves, friends. We have a very special guest today. I have known Alyssa Jeanette for, my goodness, probably a decade. Life has changed a lot since then, but Alyssa has remained awesome. Alyssa, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm just, I'm so pleased. You know, Alyssa and I have met, you know, it's so interesting, in person once. And I feel like I know you too, because you've been here since the very beginning. You know, I'm- A lowly intern. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious, like- just as we look past back on the last six years, how like how has your experience with us been? Do you, have, do you see any differences oh. in the writing that's coming through? At, like improvements? Are you seeing like a change in writers? Like what have you seen in those six years? Well, it's been incredible and really exciting to watch the business grow and flourish like so incredibly. Like it, I mean, I knew it was a good idea from the beginning, and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to be working with Jessica when she thought of it. But like even just seeing how much it grew and how many people are interested in it and how many people have now, at this point, years later, been able to use it as such a great resource and keep coming back. Like, I have a lot of people who continue to come back to talk to me and other agents and editors through the program. So, like, that is just, like, really, really cool. Like, even people who are, like, agented who, like, want another set of eyes on something, like, this is a resource for anybody. Um, And that's, like, a very, very cool and exciting thing to see and to have been a part of for so long. Um, And, of course, also, it offers, like, an incredible lifeline (laughs) uh, to people in like people who are publishing professionals um, who, you know, can use the income (laughs) that uh, this provides. Um, It really is like essential to me. And, you know, it's nice also to be able to talk to new authors fairly regularly because, you know, I'm closed to queries and have been for a few years because I have a pretty full list and can pretty much solicit most of the new stuff I want to work on. But it's so nice to be able to talk to new authors regularly because it keeps me sharp um, and it keeps sort of my hand in the trends that are coming through that new authors are 
are writing or getting into. Um, so I love that part. Uh, it's great. It's all, all around great. Like, I love it. And I, for the most part, do see, like, a pretty fair to high quality compared to, you know, some other settings I may have been in uh, in the course of my career. I, Alyssa, it makes me so happy that you say that because when Julie and I were talking about this originally, I think we were thinking we're going to help writers. And when we started getting emails from faculty members saying things like, I could pay my student loans because of you guys, that was just a really beautiful moving moment for me because I know how hard it is out there. I mean, I, I just paid off my student loans a couple weeks ago and uh, I definitely, this is a, absolutely a factor <laughs> in why because there, thank you very much, because I knew that, you know, I could add more meetings if I needed to, or at the, at the very least, I knew that there was going to be some guaranteed income coming in because, you know, I've been very lucky to have, uh, you know, at this point, a steadily more successful career as time has gone on. But like, at the end of the day, like, we still are only getting paid when we get paid. <laughs> um, so you can't always rely uh, on something so steady. So to know that I have this and that other publishing professionals have this is like a really, truly incredible, incredible and like, honestly, indispensable resource at this point. Okay, so stick around if you'd like to hear more about those meetings, because we will be giving out one with Alyssa somewhere in the episode, but you will have to listen carefully. We love that. We love doing things like that. Oh, I, I was going to say, so let's go back to something you said. So you started six years ago, you were six and a half years ago, you were an associate agent, and now you're full and you haven't been open to queries for, you said, two years. So talk about how you create your list and how you, um, you know, kind of just launched into diff- the direction that you're now at. Okay, so I've actually been close to queries for four years since May 2019. And I mean, I, I've still taken people on. Uh, I don't want to like mislead anybody. Like I do solicit clients. I do get referrals. I do meet people. That's great. But like at the time when I closed, I mean, I my list now, and to be fair, not everybody is active all the time, is about 40 people. So, you know, I have a lot of people to manage. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. And at the end of the day, I can't really be focused on my query inbox, but I also don't want to leave a bunch of people hanging querying me if because I know I will never be able to get to it. So I'd rather just close because I understand that at the end of the day, I'm going to be missing stuff anyway. Um, so I'd rather at least be able to control control the flow of, of my inbox in that way. But in terms of sort of how things have grown for me, I mean, obviously, like anybody else at the beginning, I was, you know, happy to look through my slush and was very, very lucky to find some really awesome authors that I've, you know, had the pleasure of selling uh, more than one book for in some cases. And, um, and obviously, there are some people uh, that I haven't sold, but you know, I'm still working with through the course of, you know, trying to build their career in other ways. Um, but I, I mean, even but I will say my first client wasn't through the slush. Uh, my first client was actually a friend who told me that I should be an agent in the first place, <laughs> uh, which worked out very that. well for us. And he has, you know, a book coming out next month. Uh, his name is Brandon Huang. Uh, it's called Gloria. Gloria Buenrostro is not my girlfriend. Um, oh. It's coming out from FSG, Books for Young Readers. And um, he has another middle grade coming out next year, the year after. He has a graphic novel in the works. Like he's, it's like very, very cool to have seen him grow from like when we first signed together six years ago to now. So like obviously a very long process. We didn't sell anything for him for like four or five years. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, an honestly an angel for sticking with me. Um, all, all of which is to say I do, like I didn't close to queries lately. Like I do take my dedication to my list seriously. Uh, and when I sign somebody, I do want to keep them <laughs> um, as long as I can, um, assuming nothing outside comes sort of like comes up that causes some issues. But like, you know, I've been really lucky to be able to build my list and, you know, have had clients who've stuck with me even in the case where we haven't sold anything and I don't know no one's left me yet obviously I can't say that that 
will never happen. I'm sure it will at some point. But, um, you know, it's just I feel very, very lucky and very grateful to have had the experience to really hone in on the people that I've chosen to work with at this point. I had heard things about, oh, you know, you get to a level with having hundreds and thousands of clients where each person gets a 15 minute block every month. And that's all you get. It is that is your block. You do not hear anything the rest of the time. Just that one block. I can't imagine doing that. That sounds really stressful for everybody involved. But if you're going to be working at scale, that is a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I guess just thinking about this in terms of how do writers feel safe? How do writers trust that this is not the norm? How do we take something that looks very big and scary, kind of like when big scary things happen? in the news, if they happen over and over or a lot of them in a short period of time, it starts to feel like maybe this horrific thing is normal. Sure. What happened in that particular case with the agents sort of being suddenly let go and all of, or the vast majority of the clients dropped, that is pretty unusual. <laughs> like that is pretty unusual. And I also think that it's particular in this case due to the way that that agency has, it seems, and to be fair, I'm speculating, been pivoting, I think, away from traditional agenting. You know, I don't necessarily hold a, a change in business plan against them. But this, I think, was not the right way <laughs> to handle their employees and to handle the people who rely on them, um, especially because at the end of the day, most of the time, your agents and fallow clients or clients who haven't sold aren't costing the agency any money most of the time because they make commission. Uh, and I can't speak to how that particular agency does payment. Maybe everybody gets a salary and, you know, that's, I guess, a nuance, but it doesn't actually excuse the behavior of, of dropping people like that with no warning. Okay, so okay, as the writer here, I don't know what you mean by a change in, you know, business plan, a change in the way that that agency ran their business. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain to me, well, or either of you explain to me, like, what do you mean by, you know, like, a change in agenting. Like, so if, 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 if writers are looking to query people, I would assume that everyone has the same kind of way that they agent. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, well, I would say that there are a couple constants that go into traditional, like air quote, traditional agenting um, in terms of, you know, receiving queries, being responsible for liaising with editors and other publishing professionals and negotiating contracts. Uh, all of those obviously have shades but those are kind of like the, I would say, the standard tent poles of being an agent. Everything else is kind of variable depending on what kind of agent you've decided that you are. Because obviously, you know, not every agent is editorial. Not every agent is super present after the contract is signed and they've collected their commission, etc. And, and obviously there's various reasons for those things. I, I'm not making a value judgment on what is strictly good versus bad uh, in those kind of behaviors. But in this particular case, what I mean when I say a change from traditional agenting uh, is that I think, and again, I am speculating here, I do not have insider information on this, but there was an article describing a little bit of the change that this agency is going through. And my, my guess, even though the article was not super specific about the ways that things are changing at the agency, is that they are really going from being a more traditional agency that takes on new clients, sells books, and is sort of like constantly doing that like building to now they have very much established their list and are working to expand into much more of like a media company for those tentpole uh, clients um, and like managing their and, and probably even producing, you know, adaptations, film and TV, audio. I think I think that is what they want to do. And I think that in their, you know, business brain, that meant cut dead weight in their mind, whatever they think dead weight is. I just think that they I, I mean, I appreciate, of course, uh, wanting to make a, I guess, like a sleek business, but like clearly there has been a real loss of 
of, um, you know, bedside manner and like business etiquette uh, there to my mind. And, you know, in their minds, I think that their defense is just like, this is good business. And if you misunderstand that, then I, I guess you're, you know, <laughs> I guess you're bad at business and that has nothing to do with us. Sorry, you're so jealous of our success. I disagree with that that attitude personally, because I think that you can be successful without, you know, being a jerk. But, you know, uh, at the risk of also sounding like, you know, like jaded or, or even like minimizing it, it's not really a surprise that this particular agency did something jerky. Like well, the, the rumors have been, you know, have been out there. So it's not a surprise to us. Yes, and that's, that, that I think is something where it's Absolutely. like, we all knew something was not quite as expected. That, and I mean, I had, obviously, there's no way to confirm any of these things before this news came out and people started feeling more comfortable with sharing their own experiences. Um, but I mean, I definitely had heard not so much like hurting authors careers in the sense of firing them. But like, I definitely had heard that it was like a culture of fear for the for the writers, like a ahead of all of this. Uh, and, <sighs> but there's nothing you can do if, you know, again, because at the end of the day, they are a successful agency. And if people say, well, you know, I'm going to take my chances or, you know, that's just rumors and like, oh, that's true. Like, I mean, people can obviously take their chances. And clearly it's worked for, you know, the people that they've, you know, gathered from other agencies. <laughs> gathered, uh, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're very focused on their bottom line and that they are certainly allowed to be, but then they will also have to, you know, deal with whatever probably very short-term consequences now come from the evidence that there are some real uh, issues with managing their clients and, and, and ensuring that everyone is taken care of appropriately over there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think that it is definitely better to know who to avoid. Um, and it's helpful to, I'm not saying that everybody has to have a comment. That's definitely not required. But uh, it is nice to see if people have commented, you know, maybe their statements align with your thinking. And maybe that could be somebody who you could have a better working relationship with. And it might just clarify your priorities in what you want out of a, a business partnership. That's an interesting point. So as we try to help writers to, first of all, not think of this as the norm. Second of all, not think that this is something that's likely to happen all the time because we haven't really had a blow up this big since 2016 or so. Then realize that they need to do research and there are questions to ask. I wonder if asking if employees have an NDA would actually be an interesting way to get to the heart of that. That is a pretty good point. And obviously, of course, there are things that, you know, are required to be kept confidential like in terms of like that well honestly really always in conjunction with the writers right like when we're talking about like payment information social security numbers like of course of course there is and I, i'm fairly certain that in my employment contract there is a clause to that effect of like you know you're not going to share this sort of like proprietary information of which is course. totally totally legitimate but if there was something in there saying you know you can never like if there was like, a, like, I mean, and I, I would, I don't even want to say anti-disparagement clause because I obviously think that there's a place for that too. Um, but like, I would, it would be curious to, I think that it is worth asking. I, I don't know how much they can tell you <laughs> considering because, because I don't know how that NDA would be structured. Um, but no, I think that that is generally something to approach with caution. Uh, I'm not saying that's always a deal breaker, but it is definitely like, it's cur It's curious. But what if it's one of those first rule of NDAs, don't talk about the NDA. Second rule of NDAs, don't right. talk about anything. Also, would you define an NDA for our listeners? Oh, it's a non-disclosure agreement where, I mean, obviously they can take a lot of forms, uh, but usually, obviously, it's 
a lot of times it isn't to not disclose any proprietary information, like, especially like if you're in, say, like a startup or like a tech company, like certain like proprietary tech, proprietary ideas that you wouldn't want anybody to get ahead of you um, to protect. Usually, almost all of this is to protect the bottom line of the company and protect shareholder profit, really, at the end of the day. And obviously, agents and agencies don't really have that same kind of concern. um, But that would be just like the much broader thing. But uh, unfortunately, NDAs can often be weaponized uh, to cover up bad, just bad corporate behavior, uh, abuse, (laughs) um, like horrible working conditions, you know, just like nasty bosses, etc. And that is not the purpose of them. And that should not be the purpose of them. Yeah, you know, I I think from the writer's perspective, you know, this is it's really hard when the industry goes through this and you're and, you know, and you're looking at it on Twitter, (laughs) you're, you know, you're reading but on Publishers Weekly. But there's something that like, you know, in the Whisper Network, right? So you guys hear things and of course you're not you know that you like you are within the industry but from people outside the industry you know i like i used to talk about like you can't chase ghosts like like we don't know where the whispers are Mm -hmm. we can't chase the ghosts in the industry as writers or as outsiders but when this happens it's it's that pendulum thing right so the pendulum you know, we want we want publishing to always be in the positive pendulum. Of course we do. Like, you know, all of us want books made. All of us want, you know, people's voices to be heard. When the pendulum goes too far in the opposite direction, everyone gets the willies. <laughs> and everyone's like, I'm quitting. Publishing sucks. I'm not going to do it. But like the pendulum's already kind of moved back a little bit. You know, it's kind of died down on Twitter. It's... And like, okay, this is a great discussion. Like, this is just something else we can understand about the industry. The pendulum is always going to be moving, right? And I think just knowing this and doing your research when it comes to who you sign with. Mm -hmm. And like, when you go back to that mixed media thing, I 100% think, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad model where you have your clients and then you're trying to expand them into all kinds of different medias because we all know that is happening all the time right now sure you know sure yeah i really don't blame them for pivoting only for the poor treatment of their employees and authors right but it's it's how you do it and it's how you how the people left in the rubble right that's we we're we're always worried about the rubble Mm -hmm. um so can i pivot to another dark conversation (laughs) depends what it is okay so i've been looking at uh, just publishing ai quite a bit and I want to know because people are like, oh, it's just a tool. Like I've got this tool that's going to help you be a better writer. And I'm watching these businesses and I'm like, I'm quietly like fuming because I think that you're missing the human element. But I mean, the reality is what, like, what is this going to, you know, how is this going to change the conversation in publishing? How are you guys planning on flushing this out? And where do you think this is all going? Uh, a calculator has never made anyone a better mathematician. Ooh, um, love that. You require <laughs> more knowledge uh, in order to actually grasp all of the concepts of a subject. Um, tools are great. This is not that. Just because something can be generative does not make it creative or artistic. Um, and I, I feel this very deeply coming from an illustration background um, because especially in this conversation, something that is often intentionally overlooked or glossed over is the fact that 
it is not generative. I mean, it is generative, but only in the sense that it can basically sort of remix stuff that's already entered into it. It is a tool of theft. It requires input in order to uh, generate any kind of output, but it requires similar input, right? Like, you know, we can see an image and write a story or vice versa, but this requires images to make images and words to make words. Uh, and like that, you know, that's a very fascinating piece of technology, but it can't replace and should never replace or be presumed to replace, as you say, the human element of storytelling, of art making, of, of cultural commentary, of just the pure human observation of the world that powers, you know, all of our media, all of our context and how we relate to each other like you know it's it's actually very it's very strange to me that there are people and I feel the same way and obviously I know that these aren't exactly the same conversation but parallel conversations like people getting obsessed with crypto and nfts I'm just like what are you talking about like it is it is such a grift it is such a multi-level marketing scheme that is so baffling to me it, it really is just another flavor of cult um, in terms of just like, you know, there's like a strange like barrier to entry of like belonging and like thinking that you are more progressive or enlightened um, or, you know, more of a futurist if you are, you know, plugged into these concepts. But like, what problem is it solving? None. Mm. There's no problem there that requires solving by this. It's just creating more issues. If Elon Musk is worried, that to me is an indicator. Um, but I, it's interesting because right when this came out, um, I was thinking this annoys me the same way crypto annoys me. Um, no one's acknowledging, I believe there were tens of thousands of people who were vastly underpaid who made all of this possible. It does have to work from something. It's not coming from nothing. Mm -hmm. But what really concerns me is the people who go, but a calculator is a fixed cost using AI to replace good people. Oh, yes. It's very much, uh, it's all, like I said before, it's all about the bottom line, driving cost cutting measures, profit boosting measures always, because at the end of the day, and this is to a point, I want to feel an ounce, an ounce of sympathy, because it is, it is a legal requirement to your, your fiduciary duty to your shareholders is a legal requirement. You can't do anything on purpose that would screw up your shareholder profits. That is illegal. <laughs> so it is like literally required uh, effectively to do unethical things that are cost cutting measures that are bad for workers and bad for honestly, and also bad for consumers, right? And that was to a point uh, in, a, in a smaller way, like the whole kind of point of the um, PRH SNS trial where we're talking about like all the ways that this echoes outward from like how all the ways consolidation echoes outward. And I think this is just another t form of consolidation. And uh, so all of that is like going through my mind at all times, <laughs> even though there's nothing I can formally do about it myself, except say this is nonsense uh, and don't buy into that. But, you know, I mean, we even without AI being involved, we see it, you know, we there are editors leaving and their jobs are not being hired back. Um, the work is just being redistributed. Um, so I can also appreciate that, you know, why have an editor, you know, spend 20 minutes writing jacket copy when you can just have the AI generate it? I mean, I hate it. I think it's a horrible idea, but I can also understand why that seems like the right way to go. But in the terms impulse, of like cost cutting. 
But the impulse to pick up a book is not going to be sparked by a robot that has not read the book and understood it on a human level. And I, and I think agree with you. So much. And also 20 minutes. Like, I, oh, yes, I, I suppose that's possible. Yes. I think it, I think it's a bit more. But um, <laughs> at least judging by how long it takes yeah, me to generous. write that's generous. pitch letters. I, yeah, um, it, it, it would. Yeah, a couple hours probably, but maybe it is. Uh, maybe it's run through their whole board. I hope it is. Um, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, I think everything we're talking about today has the common denominator of why can't we just treat people like people? And why is humanity so undervalued by humans? What is that? I think, I mean, that, without getting too philosophical. <laughs> I, I think that there Actually, is, please do. I, I, I think know. in a way there is a strange, there, it's twofold. Humanity is disappointing. And there's, a, I think in a way there's a strange yearning for the divine. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a everybody should be religious way. I mean this in like a, we are not terribly in touch as a culture with, um, with things beyond the material. And I, I, and like I said, I don't mean that strictly in like a you should go to church or even have any kind of faith practice kind of way, but just like having any kind of, you know, spiritual, meditative, non-work, non, you know, effort related uh, thing. Like, I think that's just very, very hard for a lot of uh, particularly like American corporate culture to like engage with. So like, and also like there's an element of like power there too, of like wanting to access something all powerful. Um, but instead of it's like, so for me uh, in particular, there's like a philosophy of Christianity and like other religions, but like um, that I find really like unique um, and that is like the philosophy of like surrender. And that is something that we as Americans and uh, also like by and large as like particularly like white people um, have a very, 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 very hard time understanding because it comes off as weakness. Um, like I, I'm very philosophical here. Um, but like I think that there, there's also it's strange because it's like we want that element of control without having to do any of the actual work of like understanding that thing or building a relationship with that thing. And I, I guess I can't really, I don't really know what my conclusion is there, but like, I think that there's just a lot that, a lot of missing connection in our community and in our culture that is really taking a toll on the way that we view the more important things and, and, the, and the greater, yeah. you know. Yeah, this is so, it's so interesting because it reminds me, I saw this, you know, I clicked on one of those clickbait things and it was like, you know, you know, the rage of the Gen Xers. And one of the memes was basically like, we all grew up on Richard Scary books and we thought the world would be like Richard Scary, where they're like, like everything is like the cog is always working and, mm -hmm. you know, and everyone is happy. And we're just like, dun, 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 through the world. And I feel like that's kind of what publishing for the outsider me understood it to be. The outsider me would go to a live conference and all of the agents and the editors and everyone would just be so bloody delightful. Like, Da, 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 you know, and like everyone's fine. Like it's like something, I mean, book people are often people people, you know, and and then you find out that, right, some of these cogs are like, <laughs> you know, and they're, they need to be oiled and they need to, we need to have, have reminders, you know, about the worth of all the cogs. And I think once again, the pendulum, it swings back 
you know, like, oh, AI is scary. <laughs> this is how it might disrupt us. Oh, you know, the, the earth is falling or the sky is falling. The earth wouldn't fall. I guess the earth could fall. I have allergies, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's pollen season. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just, it's an interesting concept that we have all of these difficult conversations seemingly coming at the same time. Yeah, that is interesting. And it and it feels also, though, you know how it's so easy to hear the story of the overnight success author and think that is normal? Yes. Yes. It is the narrative that is different from the other narratives that rises above the others. And because it becomes so big, it starts to seem more normal than it is. Of mm -hmm. course, that's rare. Of course, that hardly ever happens. But it's just as if you're not going to come home and be like, guess what just happened? I had exactly the same day I had yesterday. It was amazing. That's not going to rise above anything. It's the things that are different that are going to seem so big and also seem so scary in that way. And I just don't want people to feel like this is the new normal. Um, Grant a lot of things we've seen on TV politically have made it feel as though it's just like one, you know, one bar lowering after another of what is now acceptable. But I don't think that's the lesson to take away in publishing. I think it's this is like a really bad week. A lot of stuff was happening. Blame it on eclipse season if you want to. But again, this hasn't really happened since 2016. And not saying it should ever happen, but every so often something's going to go wrong. Just don't let that become your complete narrative for how everything is. I agree with that. I, and I do think that there is a, like a lesson here that may not necessarily be like the shiniest, happiest one, but will make for like a longer term stability in anyone's like, you know, hopefully writing career as they develop. But like really just like learning how to value your own position as as a writer, right? Like, we need you. <laughs> this is supposed to be a partnership. We're not dictators here, uh, uh, neither agents nor editors. Um, and to be able to, like, demand, within reason, of course, the, the treatment, obviously, of an equal, um, and obviously of someone who has a tremendous value uh, to contribute to this business. Um, I, I would hope that at the very least, this does like build some, especially because so many people were so brave and like sharing their stories in particular with uh, this, you know, recent agency issue. Um, I hope that they can take a lot of courage from that. And like the ways that I mean, I some of the stories I saw it was very much people coming out the other side, saying, you know, now I, I much better understand, you know, my value and worth in this agency. And you know, now I'm with an agent who's so much better for me. And like, we have all these successes, like I really would love for people to just take away a little bit more confidence. Um, and a little bit more hope that they're there are way more agents out there uh, and way more editors out there who do, you know, value and appreciate uh, and understand the necessity of the work that authors and creatives are doing all the time. So, Alyssa, you are wonderfully insightful. Anyone listening to you so far and they haven't even finished the episode would know that it would be a joy to talk with you about their Thank book. You. What is a password someone can email to us and the first person to email it to us will get a 10 minute query meeting with you? Oh, man, uh, we'll do the password is succession because that is my favorite show right now. And I'm so excited for the finale next week. OK, back to the episode. You know, what was interesting? I mean, when, when things get so dark online, I have a habit of just ducking because I I want to I want to be a 
at the manuscript academy and Jessica and I talk about this, you know, a place of just of good, you know, a place where we can like we can have the hard discussions, but let's let's think about it. Let's give ourselves some distance before we have those discussions. And while we were kind of pausing and looking at what we could do, there was some really interesting, like good news starting to come out of, of, of things. And, you know, people that have been with Manuscript Academy quite a while, getting agents and connections and books being sold. And it's, I've been working on my yard and I have this really amazing, kind of like a hydra, old hydrangea, like this kind of ancient variety. And every year it like, it, it grows into these beautiful flowers. It's the last thing that blooms. And in the spring, like there, it's like, you know, it's all dried up and you, you have to clip it back. And then you can kind of see, you can kind of see like the new pieces coming for their own vines. And, and like, it seems like that. Okay. So we're at the base again. We're starting to push back through. Where are the positive places? Like shining lights on what's working. So what do you think is working in the industry right now? working really well or you've seen a better change or or whatever bright spot you'd like to give that is a challenging question i won't lie um it's it's not that i don't want to see (laughs) the positives of the industry because i will say that i will say something that is continuing to march forward maybe not as quickly as we would like but the breadth of perspectives uh, that are coming through um, in terms of the books that are getting acquired, the authors that are getting promoted. It is, it is improving. I know that there are a million reasons to make it seem like it is not, and it is going slowly, but we are absolutely in a better place than definitely than we were when I got started, you know, seven or eight years ago at this point. And that is like really, really awesome. Like it is very much a given uh, at this point that, I mean, obviously shades of given, but like that, you know, authors of color, disabled authors, they're going to be in the conversation and these projects are going to be, you know, sought after um, at the end of the day, which I think is like a huge, a huge improvement. Even in the last decade, um, things that really have changed so much for the better uh, in that regard. And people feel a lot more comfortable, you know, calling out explicitly, you know, if a panel is all white (laughs) or all men or, you know, what have you. Um, So I think that that is it's really exciting to see people feel empowered to discuss these things uh, openly and to be able to, you know, learn, learn to correct as an industry um, slowly but surely, hope, hopefully we continue in that direction. Um, but that is definitely one of like the biggest and most marked changes um, that I've seen. And obviously, and this is another really, really big one, seeing the movement toward collective action and unionization in the industry. That yeah. is so huge and so positive. And it's so awesome to see that moving forward. At, at, I mean, honestly, at relative speed. I would love to see it yeah. more. <laughs> yes, yes. I think that's awesome. I would love for book authors to be unionized and to be able to say we're on strike until you have a no AI clause in our contract. Oh, man, I don't I wonder how that would work, because I think about that sometimes because like, you know, it's like the whole thing where they're not employees. Right. Um, And that is where it's so challenging being on this side, because I understand that we have relatively little control in that regard. But, you know, and it's like I certainly don't want to say that anybody is like not doing everything they can uh, to a point. But it's like, yeah, like that those moments I, I kind of am like, you know, guys on the corporate side, like I know it's hard, but like we are relying on you <laughs> a little bit because there's very little we can do. Uh, so we're kind of relying on you guys to be like the first line of defense here. I know it's scary and I know it's hard to walk out, but like, you know, 
obviously we've seen in some cases people doing that. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the Harper strike lasted longer than anybody yeah. anticipated. And I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Uh, it was so fun to go visit them on the picket line a couple times. And, you know, obviously they ended up coming to uh, a better agreement for everybody. But I would love to see that. Honestly, I, and I don't know how all of this works because I'm not, you know, super uh, entwined with those conversations but like you know if there could like even like Hachette doing the walkout about the Woody Allen memoir and this was you know several years ago now but it's like you don't have to be unionized strictly speaking to well, to make to make these kind of actions imagine if a thousand authors at big five publishers just did not turn in their books mm-hmm. until something happened it would be sure. absolute pandemonium yes and all they would have to do is not send that email now granted all kinds of bad things could happen but are they sure. really going to insist that all of those contracts are canceled all of those authors need to pay back their advances like chasing down one of those is a lot of work let alone a thousand so writers do have power together i agree i agree uh i think that the risk is i mean obviously like at, at, at the end of the day realistically the risk is lower but it is only lower if if it is truly collective. Yes. Yeah. It's it's when it's, you know, they can't chase down everyone who breaks an NDA. But if 100 right. people do, you know, it's a little bit safer. If one writer does, they might try. Um, right. But I, I do think that there is almost like collective inaction could do a great deal. Um, or, what is it? Um, oh, the malicious compliance, which is sort of the inverse. But uh, yeah, like if there was some kind of like, yeah, like civil disobedience. Uh, I'm all for civil disobedience. I, I hesitate to put that on authors. I, I mean, obviously, I appreciate. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Would support that's a good point. Any authors that obviously want to do that and, and can organize in that way, um, but I really do think that it is very, very. It will be very hard to move the needle if employees of publishers don't kind of start that moving. Because honestly, at the end of the day, I think that publishers know that authors are the ones that are hard to replace. Uh, and they need reminding that their actual employees are also very, very, very hard to replace. And obviously, again, I would never force anybody to do anything uh, that would, you know, put them in any kind of actual danger. I want people to to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't want people to feel like they have to endanger their livelihood. Um, but yeah, again, that's where it's like, if you all walk out, you know. Yeah, just together. to be clear, we are not saying do this. <laughs> We are saying in a hypothetical, if this happened, right. perhaps this would happen too. Just, right. just, yeah. It is, it is worth a discussion with your fellow, uh, fellow coworkers. And also it is not illegal to talk about that. And also it's not illegal to talk about your salaries. It is in fact illegal for them to tell you not to talk about your salaries. So just in case you've never heard that before, that is, that is the truth. And so one thing we've discussed today is that AI could make us feel as though we're not being treated as humans. Um, the certain agency dropping so many people so quickly could make us feel as if we're not being treated as humans. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a beautiful story of you and one of your clients interacting in a way that is deeply human? Actually, okay, I do have a recent one, and it's not one of my clients, but I think actually in a way this makes it even more kind of cool. Um, so I actually, it was someone who I uh, was talking with through Manuscript Academy. I don't think she would mind me using her name because it's very positive. Her name is Molly McCaffrey. She wrote a book called, that's just came out or is in the pro- about to come out called The Chaperone. Um, that's why um, we love Molly. Yeah, I, yeah we, we know exactly lovely. who she is. She's love her. Fabulous. Um, and, you know, she I considered her manuscript after she and I had uh, our meeting together back in, you know, 2020. 
Um, and she ended up getting an offer of rep from one of my very dear friends, uh, John Cusick, whom I adore, and I think he's a wonderful agent. Um, and she ended up withdrawing her sub from me to work with John, which, of course, I was disappointed because I thought the book was really great. But, like, I completely understood. Love John. I think that I'm sure they worked great together. Obviously, the book sold. And she actually messaged me on Twitter the other day to say that she wanted to send me a copy of the book because apparently she had thanked me in the acknowledgments. <laughs> which I was not expecting at all because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we had one Manuscript Academy meeting where I think we talked about maybe the first 10 pages. But the fact that she even remembered me in that context was so surprising and so heartwarming because, you know, she's not, again, she's not even my client. Like she definitely, she didn't have to thank me. Like she wasn't beholden to me in any way. But, you know, that is the level of, you know, compassion, professionalism, humanity that a lot more people should possess and should try to exercise. Um, and that is something that, you know, I truly treasure and really, I mean, I can't wait to get a copy of the book because I, I just truly appreciate her thoughtfulness um, and, and the, just the respect the respect for my time, uh, even if it was three years ago, and even if obviously it didn't go further than, you know, the first 10 pages of the book, like it really was incredibly gratifying. Um, and, you know, because also, I mean, J Jessica, you can understand, well, and I, was, I mean, both of you can understand, like a lot of times we're not necessarily getting anything back when we send things out, you know, we, not every editor responds. <laughs> um, and like, so it can be very challenging to to receive that sort of like uh respect and an acknowledgement of our work back and that was just such like a gratifying and unexpected and wonderful message to get and I, I truly appreciated it and i'm sure she appreciates not just your time but your insight too which is doubly lovely i truly i mean it is it is like very it's kind of amazing that i really I mean, I love my job. It is amazing that I get the opportunity to, as, I mean, particularly through Manuscript Academy, because obviously, you know, I, I know that my insight is going towards my clients, but like to be able to talk to people um, about their books and be trusted uh, with, you know, with their information and with their creative journey um, and their process uh, and, you know, hopefully encourage them and help them improve uh, and, and give them insight into you know, not only the business of things, but also the craft. I don't know. I, 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 it's just like really such an incredible gift. And I'm, I'm so lucky uh, and grateful uh, that I get the opportunity to, you know, hone my own skills uh, while helping people with theirs through this process. I, I love how it feels to have those conversations too. Um, I was telling Julie, I just had mine and I'm like, everyone's the best. What is this? This is like every single time I have them, I feel like I get to almost like reach into their mind and feel what they're feeling. And then it's so gratifying to be like, oh, you mean this? That's not on the page. Do it that way. And totally. that is just... Mm, I love that. And it's very if, satisfying. If we could close out with one more happy story. Julie, is that okay? Did you want to throw anything else in there? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this in terms of I would love to start a series because I feel like this is something we need right now of agents talking about beautiful human moments with their clients. Not just because it is a feel good thing, but just because we can almost, I don't want to say prove, but exemplify through story that we do care. <laughs> like I am Absolutely. so worried people feel like we don't care and we care so deeply and we have these beautiful creative relationships with people. and. I was on the subway last week and I was holding a bag of cookies and balancing my iced coffee and wearing what I thought was a cute vintage dress and typing to my client, Amy, feeling very much 
as I told her, I felt like I was about to be a drop everything meet cute on the subway because I was texting her things like about what she could say on this podcast interview she was going to do. And, you know, where is the line for a spoiler? Like, how do you be just vague enough? And it was just this beautiful, happy moment where I was sitting there like, this is so cool. I'm literally on the New York City subway, like with my arm around the pole, trying not to fall over, holding all these baked goods. Um, and I was just so happy that that was what I was doing in that moment. And and I just feel I like exactly what you mean. I feel like there are just so many beautiful moments where you're like, yes, this creative process, it might not be divine or sublime or or one of those things that's so hard to pin down, but to me creativity feels like that. The creativity of it has to be me right now, this person right now, this conversation right now, and together the synergy is something really special that is never going to be replaced by any kind of technology. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think to even to even add to what you said about like, I think that that kind of connection and that kind of synergy and serendipity is to me divine. Like that could, because it's like, you know, what, what are the odds, right? <laughs> what are the odds that, you know, in this timeline, as we are with technology, we have the way that people can be connected. You know, I wouldn't want to live in any other time or place than the one I'm in because I get the the great joy of connecting with people in a, obviously a much easier way than we ever have in the past. And how else would we bring something into this world? And what is the divine of not pulling something into this world? Ah, oh, well said. I think that is so well said. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, it's recorded. Because, uh, well, well, you know what, is, you got me there. <laughs> yeah, and this is such an interesting way, because I mean, I don't know, I was just kind of listening to you guys, and we've gone through some really difficult topics today, and we don't usually hear at the Manuscript Academy, we usually, you know, keep it fairly light, and I was noticing as we got through the conversations, one, I felt much better. And then as you guys started talking about the happier conversations, you're, you're, like you guys were letting up and it was like the tone was different. And and like we have to have the hard conversations to get to the better side. So mm-hmm. thank you, Alyssa. This was like the perfect way to spend, you know, a lunch hour. Thank you for being here, not just for the easy conversations, but the hard ones too. And I think it's a really great example that we're not just here like eating snacks at publishing parties and doing nothing while writers suffer. We are thinking about all of this and having these conversations and we don't always let people see it because it's not always pretty, but it's happening and we are having these conversations and we are caring about you and we are doing our best in our small way to move the needle forward. So I just don't want writers to think that because they don't see it, it doesn't exist. People like Alyssa are out there actively making the world a better place. Please know that she's not the only one. She's amazing. She's exemplary. She's not the only one. There are so many agents out there doing the good work and you just don't know because there's so much you don't see from our side of the industry. But please know, we know, and we have hope knowing what we know. We really do care. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this job. There are a lot of other jobs we could be doing if we did not care, if we did not care about this. We genuinely love the well, we love the business, right? Like this is at the end of the day a job that requires a lot of knowledge of the business, um, for better or for worse. Uh, and obviously, trying to navigate the business and change it for the better as much as we can. So, I mean, I might say that that's another thing to ask uh, an agent if you get an offer of representation. Ask them about their insight into the business maybe a little bit, apart from just selling books, but also just the big picture business. Just my thought. You could get a sense of how they feel about the Harbor Strike, for example. That might be oh, an yeah. interesting indicator. Totally. Or even or the, or any of the mergers or uh, consolidation. 
yeah, I think all of that is so important to talk about. But yeah, people are out here doing good work, caring about you, being like Alyssa in the world. And I wish there was a way that you all could see it. But I just want you to know that it is happening. We not only love the work, we love the people. If we didn't love the writers, none of this would be possible because there's no way that the two of you can almost psychically create something together if you don't like each other. Like, hey, say say there's this guy you can't stand, never going to happen. I agree. Wholeheartedly agree. I love my clients. Even if I'm not best friends with all of them, but like I, I work with them because I enjoy their work. <laughs> uh, there's just no way around it. I mean, it's you're going to see, I think, different results um, if if there's, you know, an agency that doesn't really care about the work that the clients are doing and, and who they are as people. Yep. All right, friends, it is your humanity that is going to take you forward. Go forth, be your most vivid, beautiful selves, and know that there are people like Alyssa making the world better, even if you can't always see it. Amen to that. And also, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.